Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. I'm staring at Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. What's up, Marcus? Oh, not a whole lot, man. All right, we got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about the Ossoff Asa, uh, handle election uh, in, uh, in Georgia 6th, in the 6th congre- uh, congressional district in Georgia. Of course, they are replacing uh, Tom Price, uh, who is now working with the Trump administration. Also, we're going to talk briefly about the horrific decision in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, uh, regarding Philando Castile, uh, Ger- um, Geronimo Young. Uh, he was the officer who shot Castile in cold blood, uh, was found in uh, not guilty mm-hmm. on, on all charges, and uh, it's atrocious and sad. And this would be a great opportunity uh, for the NRA to step up and help a, uh, a young African-American man who played by the rules. He had a conceal and carry license. He told the officer he was uh, carrying a gun. And the officer, because of uh, perhaps... Um, ingrained prejudice or whatever it might have been uh, stress of the job had a completely flippant response and unfortunately when you're a police officer and you have a flippant response an innocent person ends up dead uh, the officer said that he believed uh, his life might be in danger because Castile uh, smelled uh, like marijuana and then he made the assumption that he was smoking marijuana in front of his daughter uh, which then led to the assumption that if he smoked marijuana in front of his daughter he might shoot a cop Jesus. I mean this is straight out of reefer madness <laughs> we've we've learned nothing uh, from, from the um, insane uh, anti-marijuana rhetoric of the past yeah so yeah, um, and so like that officer has never had a beer around his kid exactly i mean it's, it's absolutely it's it's horrific uh what happened and uh, and people are completely right uh, to be upset mm. um also we're going to talk a little bit about the alex jones megan kelly interview oh, <laughs> yeah you know and uh, and what happened in north korea uh, re- uh involving otto warm beer a- another tragedy uh, but let's start first in georgia of course this was sort of a uh, this is with the Democrats. They thought this could be a massive referendum on the Trump administration. They are now 0 for 4 when it comes to filling uh, seats that have been vacated from individuals or by individuals who then went to work for the Trump administration. Uh, this race was with um, a fellow uh, Ossoff and uh, John Ossoff and Karen Handel. Karen Handel, the Republican, uh, the Democrat being John Ossoff. Uh, the race was not nearly as close as a lot of people hoped it would be. It was roughly six points. And this is a very interesting district uh, because Mitt Romney won the congressional sixth district in Georgia by 22 points. However, Donald Trump only won uh, this district by 1.5 points. So that's why the Democrats thought this could be a great opportunity to seize on the anti-Trump uh, movement, the resistance movement. Uh, however, this uh, proved to be a fatal flaw uh, in choosing Ossoff, a man who lives outside the district with very with no um, experience of actually running for uh, for office or holding office. However, he did work on the Hill uh, for a couple of years. I just don't see why the Democrats thought that choosing someone outside of the district would 
would be a good idea. You know, uh, and I don't know why they thought that choosing someone outside of the district who hadn't ever held office before was a good idea. The reason why Trump won uh, without holding any sort of office whatsoever was because people knew him. He was a known yeah. quantity. No, no one right. in that Georgia district knew who John Ossoff was. And no one in that Georgia district, well, obviously not no one in that Georgia district, but many people in that Georgia district knew Donald Trump and didn't like him. Hillary Clinton, again, did fairly well there uh, in 2016. So this was really a um, a blow to the uh, resistance movement. And I think they're understanding now uh, that you have a John Ossoff-like uh, candidate who really ran a moderate to centrist campaign. Uh, he was more of an establishment choice. A lot of people now who uh, find themselves to be more of the of the left of the mainstream Democratic uh, political thinking are proving or or taking this as evidence that their positions would have uh, succeeded or would have at least done better um, when it comes to um, uh, you know their political uh, philosophies. More your Bernie Sanders supporters, your more grassroots um, individuals, as opposed to. To John Ossoff, who really did represent uh, the establishment in a lot of ways, the Democratic establishment. And if you had a chance to listen to John Ossoff uh, speak, he sounded exactly like Barack Obama. Yeah. It was really almost, it was a Teddy Ruxpin situation. <laughs> he was just sort of like regurgitating the exact same tone and a lot of the same verbiage as Barack Obama used. So he might have been a fatally flawed candidate from the beginning, as Marcus just said, not coming from the district, not living in the district, already having an uphill battle ahead of you, really difficult uh, to overcome. Despite the fact uh, that he got $23 million, uh, the vast majority of that coming from outside uh, the state or much of that coming from outside the state, although he did get more small donations, more of a grassroots campaign, uh, as opposed to Handel, who got $22 million uh, for her campaign, mostly from big donors and super PACs. So you did have the difference of fundraising. But other than that, um, this election sort of proved to be a uh, validation uh, to the Republican Party that Donald Trump, uh, despite many of the issues that they have uh, within the party, is still not going to be enough of a um, of a fire rod to get Republicans out of office. So 2018, it's right around the corner. The Democratic Party has a lot of thinking to do, and they better figure it out fairly quickly. The Democratic Party just needs to learn their own lessons. They just need to learn the lessons of uh, not just Hillary and now uh, John Ossoff. Uh, they've learned the lesson twice that people don't want establishment Democrats, uh, that people don't want establishment politicians, uh, mm -hmm. specifically their establishment politicians. They don't want the anointed ones. Uh, they don't want the Democrats to choose their candidates for them. They want to be able to choose their candidates. They want to be able to have the people that they want uh, in office. And yep. uh, I don't think the Democrats uh, have gotten that through their heads yet. And who knows if they're ever going to get that through their heads. I, it, it, is, it seems like it's more difficult for them to understand uh, because they do have, they have all of the metrics, they have the data, they have the intelligent models working on these campaigns and one of the great ironies of intelligence when you're smarter than the common person it doesn't necessarily benefit you in politics uh, the common person is quite influential in the political process and if you can't relate to them you're going to find yourself sitting at home and not in dc i mean this reminds me of an old simpsons episode where uh Principal Skinner is trying to look for Bart and he goes to the 4-H club because that's where all the kids hang out and the 4-H <laughs> club is abandoned uh, and, Skinner, and Skinner says, am I so out of touch? No. It's the children who are wrong. I agree. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how the Democratic Party is operating right now. It's, it's like the no, children. It's the children who are wrong. I got to give some props to this fella. I've been following him for a little while, only about a couple of days, really. Uh, he's at Ironstash on Twitter. Talk about grassroots Democrat. His name is Randy Bryce. He's a Democrat uh, for Wisconsin, uh, the, the first district. Father, Army veteran, iron worker, cancer survivor. Wisconsin forever. Most tweets mine. Tweets from campaigns. Signed RBFC. Check him out on Twitter at Ironstash. He is a, a hoot of a guy. <laughs> and he's a regular dude. And you get yeah. the feeling he's a regular man, or at least he he portrays being a regular person. The Democrats have to go more Randy Bryce than John Ossoff if they really want to get that grassroots coalition that is so desperately needed for them to start taking over uh, the House 
uh, and the Senate. I mean, they have lost thousands of seats, a thousand seats across the country. Uh, they just it, it is it's one thing. Uh, I thought the duopoly of power was a problem in this country. And again, now we have a monopoly of power uh, with the Republicans. And it is a waking uh, nightmare for a lot of Americans who just feel as if there is no viable choice fighting for them in Washington, D.C. And we're seeing that now with the Republicans who have promised to uh, put forward a health care bill. We have no idea what's in it. We know it's going to be different from the health care bill that passed the House, which I still don't firmly understand how you can pass a bill in the House, completely change it, consider it the same bill, and then attempt to pass it in the Senate. However, the Demo- the Republicans are going to be, be doing that behind closed doors, and the Democrats, uh, you know, have promised uh, to uh, to fight it tooth and nail. They're going to obstruct on every turn. They did a talkathon this week uh, where they had a, uh, you know, again, a, a supposed open debate, but it was not an open debate. Everyone is just trying to get their sound bites out there. The American people, you know, again, it's the the uh, the charade masquerading as transparency. It's nothing but theatrical nonsense, and we learn absolutely nothing. So if you're a Republican, the Democrats have promised they're going to obstruct on every turn. The Republicans say, well, then we'll go and do it behind closed doors. And then the Democrats uh, promise to obstruct it all, you know, uh, for, uh, you know, any time possible. The American people, again, are just left in the middle with their hands up, looking like a bunch of jerk offs, uh, just on our knees, wondering what the hell we're going to get next. You know, and it's not going to be anything good. And the insurance companies, of course, they're going to get their money. And I think that's who's going to benefit the most from this. Uh, again, of course. and it wasn't again. like, and it wasn't like the uh, the the insurance companies didn't benefit from uh, Obamacare because they did. They benefited oh my more God. than anyone. Eight billion bucks, absolutely, yeah. they yeah. crushed it. They benefited more than anyone, and now they're oh. going to benefit again. That's what they, it, that's what it all comes down the to. The insurance companies wrote the damn thing. They yeah. write it. They write the legislation. They give it to the uh, senators uh, or the uh, members of the house. They sign it, and it becomes a bill. This whole thing is completely corrupt. I want to thank Bree. She sent a shirt in from Wisconsin. It says drink Wisconsinably, <laughs> which is my favorite shirt of all time. This is better than uh it's not a it's not a uh what is it? It's not a uh, beer belly. It's a full tank for a sex machine. Uh-huh. This is better than that. <laughs> drink Wisconsinably. Drink Wisconsinably. So thank you, Bree. Yes. And uh, and thank you very much for sending me uh dirt from Ed Gein's grave. Wow. Uh, a badger skull and uh, actually a, a copy of a uh, Weird Tales uh, that has the full Ed Gein story, which is a comic book that I've wanted for for many years now. So thank you very much. Much, Bray, you're the sweetest. You know, if a skull could smile, Ed Gein's <laughs> would be right now. He's exactly where he always wanted to be, just bones in a graveyard. He's living his dream. Uh, the little flyer that came with it, or the, uh, the, the what do you call tag. this? Tag. Yeah, the tag came with it. Uh, it has a great little quote. It says, this is Wisconsin, proud home of the greatest drinking culture this fine nation has ever known. From church festivals and ice shanties to tailgates and taverns, no other state pours it as liberally or does it or does it as multi-generationally as we do. I love multi-generationally. It's not a family problem of alcoholism. It's a multi-generational tradition. It's a good family time. It is. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much, Bree. This is a great t-shirt and that was a, a wonderful uh, gift that you sent. So we thank appreciate you. that uh, wholeheartedly. So that's what happened in, in Georgia 6. Uh, much ado about nothing in a lot of ways. I really was hoping it would be closer. But if you do look and you want to go back and what was the change um, uh, when it came to the polling data, Ossoff was up by around seven percentage points until the shooting of Steve Scalise and the four other individuals uh, that went down. Uh, then they ran a very controversial ad. Marcus, did you get a chance to see that ad? No. If you Google the uh, perhaps we could actually play it if you want to. Uh, it is a uh, John Ossoff, anti John Ossoff ad uh, attaching him to the Steve Scalise shootings. It's extremely hyperbolic, extremely intense, uh, a super PAC, which was denounced by the Handel campaign in full disclosure, although, you know, they they were not that upset with it. That's the thing with these super PACs. The, the campaigns just have to be like, why, I never, I can't believe they'd run such a thing uh, on my behalf. Um, but it was a, a really aggressive ad. Is this an extremist ad against John also? Sure, it could be. So you got it, Marcus? I actually have two. Oh, okay. All right. Let's uh, hear the first one. This is the one that you were talking about. Okay. 
Now the unhinged left is endorsing and applauding shooting Republicans. When will it stop? It won't if John Ossoff wins on Tuesday. Because Ugh. the same unhinged leftists cheering last week's shooting are all backing John Ossoff. And if he wins, they win. Stop them. Stop them now. Stop John Ossoff. Stop Nancy Pelosi. Vote Karen Handel for Congress. Vote Principled Leadership Project PAC. Pay for this ad and is solely responsible for its content. So this was that was the that was the uh, strategy going in with the Republicans take Ossoff attach him to Pelosi again Ossoff being a establishment Democratic candidate sort of allows those two magnets to stick mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to somebody maybe if they were coming uh, a little bit more from the union left or whatever perhaps that would have been too much of a negative and a positive and you wouldn't be able to have the magnetism between Pelosi and Ossoff also again that attack on Scalise you do wonder. Uh, if people saw that and said, well, you know what? I was sniffing around the Democrats, but if they're going to be pulling off those uh, kinds of uh, activities, I'm going with the Republican. And of course, that's totally insane. It was that man who shot up. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of the guy now. I don't even want to remember his name, quite frankly. Um, uh, we'll call him Plimpleton. <laughs> and so when Plimpleton shot up, uh, you know, the congressional baseball practice, they were practicing for a charity game. It did nothing but help the Republicans. And that's why the chief strategist for Karen Handel, as soon as that attack happened, again, thinking through, thinking, looking at life through a political prism, said that we will win. Yeah. As soon as he saw uh, what happened and what transpired in that horrific day with that mass shooting that should never happen, he said, we're going to win. That's going to benefit, benefit us greatly. And sure enough, I'm sure that played some role in Ossoff not being able to get even close to handle at the end of the day. This is the other ad that they ran. Liberal extremists will stop at nothing to push their radical agenda. Now they're turning their attention to Georgia and demanding that you vote for John Ossoff for Congress. John Ossoff is one of them. Ossoff will vote with Nancy Pelosi for more spending, bigger government, and a weaker military. Don't let them hijack our congressional seat. Stop Ossoff now. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. And and by the way, they also showed a picture of Michael Moore and all that. Oh, good. <laughs> Get him in there. You know, I mean, the the left does have a problem with branding. I mean, the celebrities, the Alyssa Milano's of the world, uh, and I have no problem with Alyssa Milano, uh, but you, uh, once again, we're just seeing it doesn't help. No. In, in grassroots campaigns in the middle of the country, if you get Lena Dunham's support, it's not going to get you votes. It's just not going to work. It might be a negative. And so I and but it's tough because I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell these uh, people not to be politically active. They're they're citizens of the United States. And if they want to support John Ossoff, uh, please feel free. Um, but you just get the feeling time and time again, the Democrats are running these platforms with celebrity uh, influence. And it doesn't seem like it's being effective whatsoever. And uh, the violent rhetoric. Uh, that is, I mean, just anything like talking about violence towards the president or Republicans or anything like that, it's fucking stupid. Like, it is, they well, have every right to say it. Of course, they have every right to say it, but it is stupid. It's a dumb thing to say. It's a dumb thing to do, and it only makes them look bad. Well, I will It's the wrong to, way to do it. I do have to defend, uh, so now flipping gears a little bit, uh, you know, we don't want to we don't want to dump too hard here on the Democrats. Uh, they did make some mistakes, and I would, again, like to see them be a viable party, and, and hopefully they can figure some things out uh, in 2018. Uh, we have the right going absolutely insane when it comes to people shutting down a performance of Shakespeare in the Park this past weekend. Shakespeare <laughs> Shakespeare is officially uh, as controversial in 2017 as he was when he was alive, and I don't even <laughs> understand how that's humanly possible. Of course, we're talking about the performance of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar is played by somebody who sort of represents Donald Trump. Yeah, this is different from what I was talking about. Oh, the, no, the I know Julius what you're Caesar. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Um, but, uh, of course, this is not a new phenomenon either, the Julius Caesar thing. They did it with uh, Hillary Clinton in 2015. Julius Caesar was portrayed uh, sort of in the uh, vein of Hillary, and I believe I believe it was 2012 when they did the exact same play where Barack Obama uh, sort of held the uh, the mantle and was sort of portrayed as Julius Caesar. Of course, the great irony about this entire play is when they kill Julius Caesar, they realize what a horrible mistake that was because it just creates a power vacuum and it destabilizes the entire uh, country and everyone regrets the murder. Yeah. 
Um, these pro- that's supposed to be the point of Julius. That's Caesar. the whole point: <laughs> is that when you kill the people, when you kill the person at the top, there's just going to be another scoundrel taking the damn spot. Yeah. Uh, so these two protesters, uh, I'm not sure if they were paid. Uh, one of the great ironies about the right currently is that they are actively paying protesters. There's a fellow; his name is Mike Cernovich. I only have to mention his name because now he's uh, aligned himself with Alex Jones. I've met Mike a couple of times uh, when he went to do Red Eye. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was extremely controversial, and um, he is. Um, you know, he's a guy attempting to uh, create a, uh, a narrative that fits his worldview and uh, and helps him monetarily. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, that's all these people are doing. Um, he is actively paying protesters. He offered $1,000 for anyone to go behind a CNN reporter and say CNN is ISIS. Uh, he is actively paying protesters to go and disrupt uh, these plays such as Julius Caesar. And the great irony is calling CNN ISIS or shutting down an artistic event, that's what ISIS did. They shut down the media <laughs> and they shut down art. Yeah. You know, So it's just the, the irony, the, the man who interrupted uh, the Julius Caesar play, he called everybody goibles. Yeah, like, yeah, You're all goibles. Yeah, yeah. Goebbels would be proud. The, Goebbels would be proud. Am I mistaken? Didn't the Nazis stop art? Isn't that <laughs> like a huge thing that they did? ISIS and the Nazis were both the destroyers, and obviously ISIS in real time, are uh, were the destroyers years of art yeah so the irony the the cognitive dissonance is just driving me absolutely insane and i think again the majority of people in the middle of this country are just scratching their heads and be like how did the inmates run start running the asylum i think everyone is just yelling at each other uh yeah. everyone is yelling at each other uh, as much as they possibly can when they don't agree with each other uh and you see this on now you're seeing this on a a, a, a macro scale you're seeing this in a, a real life scale uh but what the uh, Shakespeare protest? It that's like Twitter popping into real life. Yeah, like that. That's that's Twitter just kind of edging itself into reality. Like Twitter has mm-hmm. become this sentient being that is now leaving the internet and mm-hmm. is now uh, a part of our everyday lives. That sort right. same sort of like discourse of yelling at each other uh, and not listening to the other side at all. I mean, I you even say. I, I mean, I see it's this like, on my own Twitter. You know, oh, when yeah. when someone disagrees with me on something, uh, I like to have a, an actual conversation with right. them to see you know what they're actually saying and then i get people that are just attacking that person calling them even an on idiot. your behalf it's on still but just like calm down yeah, it's like it's attacking fine. people and calling them an idiot and like you're fucking wrong right. and all that and not and not not introducing any discourse whatsoever. They're just attacking them. I'm like, right. guys, I'm trying to have a fucking conversation here, yes. but it's like there's people screaming in your ears uh, try, and it derails the whole thing. Uh, yes. And that's what we have. It's like we just have people screaming at each other and not wanting uh, to listen uh, and, trolls, not wa- and not wanting to, to hear the other side at all. The trolls have come to real life. It's like the movie The Ring when the girl crawls through the TV <laughs> but now they're crawling through your iPhone and they're appearing on a stage right in front of your eyes calling you goibles. Um, it, it is it is an absolutely fascinating phenomenon, and uh, you know both sides are just so hypersensitive because there is no uh, bondant in the middle. You know we've talked about this uh, at length on the show. Uh, there is no collective uh, tissue any longer. With um, you know um, there is no town hall where people have to tangibly go. There is no uh, you know I mean, we have farmers markets and things like that, but there's no connective, unifying America. There's no theme that people are buying into. And that is one of the issues with having a huge nation of 50 massive states, most of them larger than uh, countries uh, that make up the United Nations or that make up uh, the European Union. Uh, not having a national language. The, this has always sort of been one of the difficult things with the notion of America. And I'm not saying that we should have a national language or put that into the Constitution or anything like that. This is just this is just the struggle of this country uh, to keep unified under one uh, flag, under one uh, you know principled uh, notion. But the one thing that we all have to have is freedom of speech, and that is the thing that is becoming eroded. Uh, 
uh, and that's that's very dangerous. Thankfully, uh, the courts have decided time and time again that the First Amendment uh, applies to speech that you don't like. It applies to hate speech. Uh, there was just a recent case where the Supreme Court uh, voted eight to nothing uh, in favor of, uh, I believe the last name of the man suing was Tam. Uh, this was known as the Slants case. The Slants is an Asian American uh, uh, rock band. They wanted to copyright the name The Slants, and uh, they were they were refused uh, because it was deemed uh, slanderous and uh, and I suppose uh, perhaps racist. Um, so they went to the, all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said no. Uh, they can trademark that word. Uh, it doesn't matter if you uh, are offended by uh, by the term or not. It's uh, First Amendment protected speech, and that was a huge win for the First Amendment uh, this week, uh, coming from the Supreme Court after seeing all of the people trying to shut down free speech because they were saying something negative about a political figure that they like. And the thing that we have to remember in this country is that art is the is the thing that allows the the, the steam out. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the thing that lets the pressure out. So then we don't have an, uh, an an Arab Spring. Then we don't have massive amounts of political violence. Unfortunately, we saw it last week. Art is the great uh, pacifier for society. You know, we get we don't actually behead our leaders when we don't like them. No, Kathy Griffin had a mock up. It was a it was an artistic photo shoot. That's how we do it in this country. We don't drag our leaders through the street like they're more, uh, Muammar Gaddafi. We don't behead people in town squares uh, because we disagree with their policies. Uh, we we do it uh, theatrically, and then we go to the polls and we vote. That's how it works in this country, and that's why we cannot start attacking art because once you attack art, you think it's bad when they fake behead the president. We'll get ready for some real action because that's what happens when you stop. Uh, and don't allow people to, quite frankly, just get it off their chest. Mm-hmm. You know, you got it. You that's that's the whole point of art. It's been the point of art forever is to uh, is to you know satisfy the uh, co- the constituents and the society's um, unrest with people in power. That's what art does. That's what Charlie Chaplin did with the dictator. You know, that's what that's what's been going on for generations, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Art has been important. I mean, even you know. Go back way in, uh, in uh, I don't know, I want to use the word primitive, but just old school. We'll call them old school cultures. Sure. They would constantly do the- uh, theatrical things, mocking the, uh, you know, the, the leader of, uh, of, their, of their tribes and things like that. It's nothing new. No. It has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then there's actually going to be real war. We should feel great to live in a country where the political aggression is taken out on the stage as opposed to um, actually, you know, uh, in real life. So, I mean, that's it's kind of the same thing with like professional wrestling, where it's nice that we don't watch uh, um, actual gladiators fight each other to the death. We watch it in a nice theatrical way. And I got to <laughs> say uh, that last the the uh, money in the bank match, the, the last match, Sam's uh, Sammy Zayn is incredible. Mm-hmm. He's that was a don't look at me like that, Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, again, did not come over for money in the bank, but I did not ask him anymore, Marcus, because I'm done asking. Well, one of these days when Matt, you know what? When Mick Foley comes back, then I'll come he on. He can't over. even. I, we don't want Mick to come back. He's going to die. Mick Foley is like the wrestler, a wrestler, uh-huh. uh, Mickey Rourke's the wrestler, which I made my girlfriend watch, by the way. She didn't get it. Really? She thought it was sad. And I'm like, it's not sad. He's going to. I know it's it's sad. man. Can I can I end? Can I can I spoil the end of the wrestler? Yeah, it's super sad. He he rammed. Jammed. <laughs> he... I'm, I'm gonna. I don't want to ruin the wrestler, but how long's it been out? Uh, I don't know. Probably eight, nine years. Okay. Well, then I can say it. He dies doing what he loves. Mm-hmm. He dies doing a ram jam. Yeah, I know. And he then dies my girlfriend the is like, "That's so sad. He's got a daughter. He's uh, he's all alone." But he, what? Yeah, it's sad. He jumped off the top yeah, rope. He chose the ram jam over his daughter. The Ram Jam. <laughs> I don't think you're understanding what the crowd was. It the crowd was like Ram Jam. Yeah, the, Ram Jam. And then he was like, "Oh, all right." Yeah, he sacrificed his relationship with his daughter to satisfy the yellings of a few dumpy shitheads. Oh, don't don't Ram Jam. I I love what he did. I love what he did. Uh, but again, but there was, other I, than I, other than that situation with the wrestler, for the most part, our pro wrestlers don't die after a match. Yeah, for the most part, and and I I, I definitely agree. That, that we do need uh, catharsis here in America. We do. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, America is great at. It's not just uh, catharsis 
for us, like that shit reverberates around the entire world. I mean, art totally. is art is uh, America's number one export. Right? Absolutely, like, that, culture. That's it. Culture is America's number one export. It's been that way for a long time now, uh, mm-hmm. and I th- we cannot stifle that. Like we can't stifle uh, America's ability to be a, a cultural juggernaut, even if some of that culture that it exports is bad. Like yep. uh, Kathy Griffin, that is not good art. Like that, that's not you I know, know. Like I, I don't think it, it's I'm not sure what it really was, but I mean it was yeah. Just, yeah. I, it's not particularly clever. It's uh, just meant to uh, to provoke, uh, and I don't believe it really says anything uh, mm. in particular. But for some people, that was cathartic. That sort of thing. That's not yep. actually violent. That's just a representation uh, of violence. You know, like right. uh, shit. Violent video games. Violent movies. Those sort of horror movies. That type of shit's cathartic. Oh, absolutely. It, it gets it out. You know. I mean, yeah. sure, some people might get a bit of a boner playing GTA, but for the mm. most part, I think a lot of people it gets out the aggression that we have built up inside of us. Totally. Yeah, I agree. We can't, we really cannot start going down that road of attacking art. So big Supreme court decision, uh, this week, uh, protecting the first amendment. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I do want to talk. There was a good article in reason. Uh, and of course reason, uh, that's Nick Gillespie and Matt Walsh and those guys. And, uh, I, I have respect for what they do. This is again, talking about the NRA. I want to switch a little bit to Philando Castile, uh, because this is an area, uh, in America where, there is legitimate anger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that this officer, again, um, Ger- Geronimo Yanez, he found not guilty. People cannot wrap their heads around or will refuse to wrap their heads around or refuse to acknowledge the idea that some police officers make horrible decisions and some police officers are corrupt and some police officers are um not good at their jobs. And when cops aren't good at their jobs, people die. And people cannot, uh, you know, sort of capture that as a thought because I think it would erode their entire worldview. It would it would put into question many other things. The exact same situation I see with the with the police, you see in The Keepers, for example, that unbelievably sad Netflix documentary with the Catholic Church. You can't believe one priest is a pedophile. Where does the domino, where does it stop? Yeah. If one cop is a murderer, where does it end? They cannot um, understand or refuse to understand that society, uh, if the cops are bad, is the mayor bad? Is the governor bad? Is the president bad? Is our congressman bad? It's just, it is too much of a Jenga. The cops hold such a key Jenga position in the structure of our society. You pull that piece of Jenga, the entire thing falls down in the minds of many Americans. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get an actual guilty verdict in these cop cases. The case in South Carolina. Uh, where the man was running away uh, from the officer. We see we're all looking at the same video. And somehow, uh, jurors, I believe that was a hung jury. Mm-hmm. Um, I might not be right about that. I know he wasn't found guilty. Uh, it's, it's it, We all look at the same video. We looked at the Philando Castile tape, uh, you know, the Facebook Live video, and then the dash cam video. And you can't wrap your head around how someone couldn't convict uh, Geronimo uh, for murder unless you take into uh, account how fragile this society is and how sensitive people are when it comes to acknowledging corruption in the police force because that would destabilize their entire existence. I think it comes down to a feeling of betrayal. Uh, and I think it's a betrayal on two different levels. I think if uh, people uh, realize that some cops are shitty at their jobs, they mm-hmm. make mistakes, uh, then it feels like that the system has betrayed them because they are, uh, they, I think people are conditioned to think that the cops are here to protect you, yep. uh, that all cops are good, uh, that they are here as a stabilizing force. Mm-hmm. So if the cop fucks up, then that feels like a betrayal. But I think it totally. also, people feel like that if they don't have the utmost faith in the cops or uh, the military or the government, they feel like that they're p- betraying them. They feel like they're yeah. betraying the cops. They're, they feel like, because, you know, it's because you know, cops, they're, cops do a lot of good for people. Yeah, uh, and I think, you know, you know, if say if someone uh, has had a positive experience with cops oh, yeah. in the fa- in the past, if they admit that some of those police officers are terrible at their jobs uh, and could possibly uh, harbor racist feelings, then I think people feel like that they're betraying the people who may have once saved them. 
Uh, you know, I mean, it's one of those things, no matter how much you hate the cops, when your home is broken into, who are you going to call? Yeah. You know? uh, so there, yeah, there is no denying that there are officers that do some amazing things. Uh, but we just can't paint everyone with such a broad brush because, you know, for a fact, there are countless police officers who are livid with Geronimo Yanez. Yeah. I mean, they see this as a, a total, like you were just saying, betrayal to them. Yeah. You know, the the people in, uh, uh, the men in blue or the women in blue, uh, you know, th- the good ones on the force are also dealing with the ramifications of these rogue actors' actions because they're the ones now going into places with much more hostile intent against them mm-hmm. because, you, again, they're all cops. So when you start painting a, a broad brush, it would do amazing if Geronimo was found guilty because then we could have closure on this in, uh, uh, situation and a cop driving through that part of Minneapolis uh, wouldn't feel the wrath of the what the legal system was supposed to take care of. Now those officers driving through those communities are feeling the wrath of what the legal system failed to do. Well, it's not just wrath. It's also trust. Uh, oh, total lack of trust. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a lack of trust because you know if, if uh, these if people in these communities don't uh, trust the cops, uh, then the cops aren't going to be able to do their jobs. Uh, and if the cops can't do their jobs, then the more crime will spread. And that's just not in those communities. That's everywhere. That's all around the United States. The more uh, that the trust of police officers gets eroded, uh, the worse crime is going to get. Yep. Uh, I just want to read this one part from this recent article because it's about the NRA. And again, the NRA had a great opportunity here to step up to the plate and not be seen as solely a white institution. A uh, You know, of course, they have huge inroads with the Police Benevolence Association. Uh, the cops in the NRA are, are quite... Uh, are quite close. But again, in a situation like this, you would think the actions were so extreme, both sides could see things clearly, but they did not. This is from the article. A day after the shooting, the NRA said the reports from Minnesota are troubling and must be thoroughly investigated. It promised the NRA will have more to say once all the facts are known. The reports have been investigated and the facts are known, yet the NRA has added nothing to the bland, non-committal statement it made a year ago. You'd think the nation's largest and oldest civil rights organization that's what they call themselves, mm-hmm. uh, would have more to say about an innocent man who was killed for exercising his Second Amendment rights. And I got to completely agree with that article. He did everything right, and the NRA had an opportunity uh, to really step up to the plate here, and they completely blew it once again, making themselves out to be uh, a uh, harbinger of this notion that we live in a nation where different constitutional rights are applied to different people based upon race, economic class, uh, and education. They had a meeting. Uh, to talk about whether they would make a formal statement about this, whether they would come out for it or come out against it, and they came out of that meeting um, deciding they, it, they would say nothing. Say nothing. That they they made they made a decision. Yeah, right. you can't tell me that the NRA did not have a meeting about this. Of course, they, they came out of it uh, saying that they would not make a statement. They would not weigh in on this. They are just staying silent, and hoping that no one notices. Yeah. Just hoping that no one notices that they uh, will not. And this isn't the first time mm-hmm. that the NRA has not come out uh, for uh, a black gun owner. Sure. There was and that woman in uh, Minnesota that got uh, 23 well, years. The was woman it Minnesota? In, the woman in Florida, Florida uh, who right. had a, she fired a warning shot because her ex-abusive, I believe it was husband, perhaps ex-boyfriend, uh, was banging on the door. She shot a warning shot. She, uh, sh- she shot a warning shot. She got uh, 23 years, I believe it was. And the NRA was uh, silent. Completely silent. Uh, you also have to wonder if, uh, you know, with the uh, with the racial components of this situation, we hear so much about a white officer shooting a black man. Uh, Geronimo Yanez, obviously not a white dude, uh, more evidence that it's systemic. This is not a racial situation. This is a this is a systemic problem within our police force. Um, and you do wonder what the um, social media re- reactions would have said had uh, it been a white officer uh, with Philando Castile who shot Philando Castile. Uh, it would have been, you know, just it would have been so much more salacious. And because that's what uh, that's what leads in this country is 
uh, considering continuing this notion of racial division. As we saw uh, transitioning a little bit here to North Korea when it comes to Otto Warmbier, when he was arrested in North Korea for doing something fairly petty, although extremely important to the North Korean regime, uh, tampering with official government uh, a poster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I guess he didn't fully understand what the Kim dynasty means to people of North Korea. You don't mess with a poster yeah. <laughs> at all. So he got 15 years hard labor. There was countless articles written about how um, he took his white privilege uh, to a foreign country and he realized it's not valid there. All this kind of hyperbolic nonsense as opposed to, of course, Kenneth Bay was also uh, an Asian American held in North Korea. People want to infuse race on so many things, um, you know, just again to get the clicks and those kinds of things. And they see the world through a racial lens, which is just as um, it can be just as pollutant as seeing the world through a political lens. Anytime you just we, we, you got to try to be clear and see people as human beings first, um, as opposed to just, uh, you know, based on, uh, you know, sort of the uh, the um, superficial things. So what happened with Otto Warmbier, a very interesting situation. God knows what the North Koreans did to him. They didn't find any uh, they didn't find any broken bones on him. They didn't find any um, neurological toxins. They didn't find uh, any uh, botulism, which would uh, sort of uh, make it uh, seem as if he was poisoned. He just had a he had a massive um, situation that led to his brain not receiving oxygen, not receiving blood. He came over here in a coma and now he has passed away. And now we have a situation where this is a this has global um, warfare. This is this is this has global implications when it comes to what we're going to be doing uh, with North Korea. The United States buzzed to, I believe, there were supersonic planes around North Korea, sort of send a message. And now we have the situation with Vladimir Putin uh, uh, with a NATO plane uh, buzzing uh, a Russian uh, plane. Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin promising or that they could see uh, U.S. aircraft. They would they would blow up U.S. aircraft. So there is so much going on uh, internationally and. And we sit here back home and we talk about Shakespeare in the park and these kinds of things. But globally, the world is in a massive amount of flux because, again, uh, Donald Trump's America first policies have led to some power vacuums, specifically when it comes to NATO and things like that, giving more control uh, to other of the NATO nations, to other NATO nations, as opposed to the United States taking the lead. So this whole thing is uh it's not there's nothing there's no reason to be worried but it is a fascinating series of events and the worst thing that we can do in the in the west is continue to uh be militarily aggressive against the north koreans because as i talked about uh this week on kennedy um that show on fox business uh, they are they are a cult in their waning days, and all U.S. aggression does is prove Kim Jong-un's narrative that the West is trying to oppress them and the West wants to eradicate them, so we better eradicate the West first. Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous what's happening. So we have all of the other things happening in this country, and then you got to bl- uh, blow it out a little bit more macro, and it's a fascinating uh, we have a fascinating theater happening uh, specifically in Syria and what's going on with the North Koreans. If we go into a North Korea and invade, that would lead to the worst humanitarian crisis. It would make Syria look, uh, you know, absolutely fine. And uh, the Chinese don't want it. The South Koreans don't want it. And those North Koreans, they're, they're not they're not losing. And uh, when I say that, I mean, they're just going to they will die. We would have to kill every single one of them. The war would never end. Yeah, it would be a quagmire, to say the least. So we have a lot of real life stuff happening uh, despite uh, you know people shouting down individuals uh, trying to perform art in uh, in the park here in New York City so it's an it's an interesting world and uh, there's a lot going on and there's a lot to stay um, there's a lot to stay focused on of course uh, we also had the Alex Jones Megan Kelly interview which uh, Alex Jones uh, the Megan Kelly that the the show itself it lost to a um, a rerun of America's funniest home videos and I gotta say America's home, funniest home videos is hilarious. Yeah, it is. Even the second time, because it's like <laughs> there, it's like still baseballs hitting crotches. Yeah, and then like a dog on skates, which is always <laughs> fun to watch. A dog on skates. I love a dog on skates. I love a dog. I love a bulldog on a skateboard. Oh my god! Maybe the dogs on a balloon. Dogs <laughs> playing with balloons. 
You know, wasn't there was there ever an America's Funniest uh, like uh, animals? I think they had uh, they had specials. Okay, good. Well, there there better be. Um, so <laughs> anyway, Megyn Kelly was the was the big loser there. It was a 17 minute interview, and the Infowars they did a Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of it. I believe they actually had more clicks on the Infowars uh, version of the interview than the actual interview, and it really I think just led to mainstreaming Alex Jones even more because the people that don't like him you know the okay the best outcome is they continue not to like him the mm-hmm. worst outcome is they're like oh he kind of has a point yeah and then all of a sudden you know he gets more attention when uh, I think that was sort of the net win for Alex Jones because if you like Alex Jones you're not gonna not like Alex Jones because Megyn Kelly grilled him on some mainstream media television show yeah and I watched the uh the whole commentary of the Infowars crew Chernovich was on that yes he was uh, and Roger your buddy Roger Stone called in the old Stone the, Zone the Stone, Stone Zone, Zone. And, and it's so funny to hear Alex Jones talk uh to him on the phone because he's a, a consummate radio professional he says every time he says uh every time he referred to Roger Stone he said Roger Stone every time we got Roger Stone on the phone now what do you think about that Roger Stone uh I just Roger kept Stone. saying it over and over again, uh, but they uh, they were loving it. They they, they had a oh, they course. had a they were having a, a fantastic time. It was obvious uh, that they knew that they won. Uh, that Megyn Kelly uh, did not get her. Um, she did not achieve her purpose. Although I'm not even entirely sure what her purpose was. I don't know either. I, I mean, she wants the ratings. She wants. She's desperate for them. But I don't think that these big media brands and big media brand personalities fully understand what they're going against when no. they go against Alex Jones. He is the boogeyman uh, from uh, from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. The Oogie he, Boogeyman? Oogie Boogie. He is, his his minions like kind of does. <laughs> they are all inside of him. I mean, he he is like Freddy Krueger who harnesses the souls of his followers. He is more powerful than Megyn Kelly because Megyn Kelly, at the end of the day, she might have some followers on Twitter. Maybe people like her, watch her show. Then she doesn't understand the the rabid fan base that Alex Jones has. No one and cares about Megyn Kelly. They don't care. At the end of the day, they're not going to go to bat for Megyn Kelly. But Alex Jones's fans, they go to bat for him every single day. As a matter of fact, they treat it like a lifestyle choice. Yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah. I, I don't think Megyn Kelly... Megyn Kelly just doesn't understand uh, the media world that Alex Jones runs in uh, because he is a, a brand. Uh, yeah. She's going up against a, a full-on brand and she has... The only brand that she has is mainstream media, NBC. Right. That's her brand. Alex Jones's brand is Infowars himself, his brain. Right. Uh, and it's very easy uh, when you've got this narrative of Alex Jones versus the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. He's got his brand versus Megyn Kelly's brand. Megyn Kelly's brand is a TV network that no one right. really likes. No one's going to be getting behind NBC as their hero. Because NBC doesn't care about you. No. I mean, at the same time, it's like, I understand. Alex yeah. Jones and Infowars, they have a much more direct-to-consumer product. Product. Yeah. It doesn't go through uh, a huge amount of marketing and advertisers and these billion and billion, billion dollar corporations. Nobody has an NBC News sticker on their car. No one. But <laughs> I, would hate, I would hate to see the person that does, actually. But Absolutely. I, but even here in New York City, I've seen dozens of InfoWars stickers. Oh, of course. You know, like they, it's, she, she had no idea what she was going up against, or mm-hmm. she didn't care what she was going up against, or she just had hubris, and she thought yeah. that I, Megan Kelly can slay this goblin. Uh, right. And that, man, that goblin just took a big old dump, took a dump. On, on her dinner table. Uh, oh, that's the worst <laughs> place to do it. I don't like that at took all. Took a dump on her dinner table and oh, ran man. away laughing. Well, not to get Alex Jonesy and myself, but you do wonder now, again, going back to what we're seeing across the, uh, the, uh, the world, uh, the military wins. The Hawks in Washington always win. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it seems like we're gearing up for uh, something. I'm not sure what that means, uh, but it does seem like something will be happening militarily overseas uh, in the near future. And again, uh, if the the election, uh, going back to Georgia 6th, the election of Karen Handel, uh, the fact that, again, Republicans have filled all four seats that were vacated from individuals who went to work with the Trump administration. The Republicans have the health care bill coming out next week. We'll see what it is. And hopefully they have a, a little bit of time to actually look it over. Good Lord, we don't need another repeat of what happened in 2008, uh, or maybe it was early 2009 when they actually got to pass the thing. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, of course, famously saying, we'll see what's in it after we pass it. Um, you know, if the Republican Party 
begins to sort of solidify and realize they can survive with a Trump administration, that's going to give them a lot more um, ground for military interaction overseas. And then you have yourself the election cycle in 2020 coming up already. Uh, it's Abraham Lincoln coined it, um, you know, running for re-election. Don't change horses in midstream. We saw uh, George W. Bush uh, sort of harness that notion perfectly in 2004. Uh, you know, military action does not hurt when a politician is attempting to get reelected specifically uh, at the presidential election. House of Cards also touches on it at the end of season four. Um, season five, I just finished, by the way. It's amazing. So something's going on. The military in this country always wins. Hmm. And you do wonder if uh, we're going to have a bit more of a in- uh, military uh, intervention, either with North Korea or um, continue uh, what's happening in Syria. I believe there's already been uh, suggestions of boots on the ground and things like that. Uh, so we'll see. And we, it can only happen if the Republican Party feels solidified and comfortable with Donald Trump as president. And, you know, as as frogs slowly, uh, slowly, uh, you know, heat up in the in the. Uh, in the pressure cooker, it, this is becoming normal. Mm-hmm. The Trump presidency has become normal, and it just is what it is. We see children on a regular basis, and that's kind of the scary thing. You know, kids talking. Uh, there was a report uh, from Karen Handel's um, from her uh, victory speech. You know, before people are waiting, there was a couple of kids wearing "Make America Great Again" hats, and they said, "This party is low energy," and they started clapping really loud and stuff like <laughs> well, that. Because low so, energy is a meme, exactly, like that, and it's a it's a code. But you know, for young younger generations, Donald Trump is normal. They didn't have, uh, I mean, and honestly, uh, you know, we started with uh, with George W. Bush. That was normal. Uh, Bill Clinton was. It was normal for a, for a president to be getting blowjobs in the Oval Office uh, and corruption is all over the place. I mean, these things just become society and they don't become strange. And that's why every old person is constantly confused with new generations and they call them stupid. <laughs> and they're probably right. You know, <laughs> like maybe every old person, uh, every old person sitting on a stoop screaming at the youth are probably onto something. Huh. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> maybe you know they had actual uh, you know intelligence or what they perceive to be intelligence in their generation. Um, so the uh, fact that we live in it, the fact that we will have kids who will never experience or maybe not in their not uh, uh, you know intellectual yet uh, enough yet to experience what a president was when it, maybe with Obama or whatever it might be, Trump is just going to be a, a normal U.S. president. Yeah, and then uh, it's 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 extremely interesting. To say the least. Interesting um, times. Interesting times. All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Everything's fine. You know, go to, go to the park, watch, <laughs> some, watch some Shakespeare, and uh, it'll be all good. We also got a bunch of magnets. Who sent us those magnets? Uh, I, a great fan. We'll I don't t- know, but I, I just got them stuck to the desk. That's, that's that, good. That's there, what that sound was. I was telling Marcus about, uh, what was the name of that uh, thing I was telling you about? Buckyballs? Buckyballs. Yeah, there was a magnet company back in the day. It was called Buckyballs. They got sued because kids kept on eating the magnets, and the magnets would come together in their stomachs and i think a lot of people died uh which is not good again brie thank you so much for the shirt yes thank you for uh, all the paraphernalia yep and let us know what you think about the show you can find me on twitter at ben kissel you can find marcus parks at marcus parks uh marcus parks is marcus parks on instagram as well i'm ben kissel one on instagram and uh let's see here i think that's basically it I think so. For this show, for the news of the week. Uh, but again, you can email me at benk721 at gmail.com. I'm going to be doing a dumpster fire chat real soon. I got some great emails lined up. Um, I apologize. I've just been real busy here. Um, but all right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Yeah. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hey, Mom. First things first. Thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. 
Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.